Hey, hey, Star Wars fans, it's Gary here from Spark of Rebellion, and we would love for you to listen to all of our brand new episodes when they land every single Saturday. Make sure you follow us on your podcast app of choice or pop over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash listen. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that via our Patreon. Just head over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash Patreon and come and join our other patrons. And thank you so much for your continued support. Now, may the force be with you and on to this week's Spark of Rebellion. Hello there. We would be honoured if you would join us. What is going on? Welcome to Spark of Rebellion, the weekly Star Wars show, coming to you from a galaxy, galaxy, galaxy far, far up north here in England. I'm your host, Mark Asquith, my co-host, my partner in galactic crime, the scoundrel that is the bearded wonder, Mr. Gary Aylett, is not here today. He's travelling the world, heading out to countries far and wide. He's not smuggling like that fave scoundrel Han Solo, but he is on his travels this week. So I'm going to be flying solo this week. I'm going to be flying solo and just digging into some news reviews and, of course, some discussion. So, Gaz, we'll see you next week, my man. Safe travels. And I just want to give a big shout-out before we dive into the show today to our wonderful patrons. That's right, Pascal, Sean, Tom, Chris, Regina, and everyone that supports us over on Patreon, you make this show possible. We reinvest every single dollar that comes through Patreon back into this show. So thank you so much for making that possible. If you do listen to the show and you want to become a patron, if you want to get hold of some Spark Rebellion swag, get a handwritten note from Gaz and I, and maybe just support the show in your own inimitable way. I'd be delighted if you did that. So please go ahead and check out patreon.com forward slash spark of rebellion. Now today on the show, we are going to be digging into a couple of pieces of news, not too much news actually this week, because I want to save some of the toy news for a chat with Gaz next week, because he's a big toy buff. But we are going to dig into a bit of a rant from uh, a Star Wars character favorite. We're going to dig into an opinion piece which came out saying that the sequel trilogy is worse than the prequel trilogy, which, you know, interesting, interesting. I was uh, I was very intrigued by that piece, so we're going to dig into that. And we're also going to, of course, dig into yet another Palpatine theory, because Rise of Skywalker is on the horizon, so it wouldn't be a Star Wars week without another Palpatine theory. And another rare theory. So this week we've got two for one. We've got one theory that seems to dig into Ray and Palpatine in a new way. And then we're going to shine a light in the random spotlight on a planet that um, has been in Star Wars lore in various guises over the last few years, but really made its big splash in The Force Awakens. We're going to dig into that in a little while. Now, this week in Star Wars has been, uh, it's, it's always inevitably up and down. There's been a little bit around Galaxy's Edge. There's been a lot around Matt Smith, whether he's actually in The Rise of Skywalker. It appears that some eagle-eyed fan has spotted a bone structure of a random character with blue skin and a mask that might have the bone structure similar to Matt Smith's face. Is that Matt Smith? Who knows? We just simply do not know. But, you know, that's it's always interesting to see the speculation that is out there. It's always fun. I always enjoy reading that sort of stuff. Um, so let's dig into some of the news. Now, um, Freddie Prince Jr., you remember Freddie Prince Jr.? He's, you know, you know Freddie Prince Jr. He's, he's the guy. He's the guy from uh, from Rebels. He voiced Kanan. He was, you know, he's he's just been around. He's that 90s heartthrob. He's just been around. But over the last few years, 
He's been doing a little bit more in geek culture. He started in 24 back in the day, some of the one of the later seasons actually, when 24 moved to New York as a location from LA. Um, that was always quite interesting. I uh, I was I was I was interested in seeing him in that one. But basically, Freddie Prince Jr. He he's been on a, a a podcast called the Friendship Podcast, which is brilliant. It's a, it's a great podcast and. They've videoed Freddie Prince Jr. basically just having a good old F-bomb-laden rant at the Star Wars fandom. The Star Wars fandom. And I don't think he's doing this from a point of being negative or having a go at people. He's just saying that, look, he's, you know, he's he's been part of the Star Wars lore. He was saying that, you know, he's learnt from the Star Wars, uh, sorry, from the Lucasfilm story group, who in turn learned from George Lucas exactly what the Force was supposed to be. And what what Freddie Prince Jr. digs into on this one is quite curious insofar as that he just basically says that, look, all these theories are bunkum. We can pretty much predict the outcome of any fight, of any movie, of any force-related conflict by listening to what uh, Dave Filoni picked up from George Lucas and obviously what George Lucas, the creator, intended for the force. And Freddie Prince Jr. digs into the fact that the Emperor, in theory, was aware that the Force would not be overly impressed by the fact that Anakin would be killed. So the Emperor, knowing that Anakin, even though theoretically the Emperor created Anakin, but, you know, that's a different kettle of fish, he's making the point that if if he'd killed Anakin, the Emperor knew that the Force would then balance that. The force would balance it. He wouldn't be impressed with that because it's all about balance. So instead, he seduced Anakin to, to fulfill this rule of two with the Sith. And in response to that, guess what the force did? The force created the Skywalker twins to balance the force. So whatever the bad guys do, the good guys do. It's all balanced out, okay? I mean, there's a few things wrong with that, which I understand completely, Um and I, I love the idea of that, and I love the notion of that. But he voiced Kanan Jarrus, who was a force-wielding Jedi. Um, so he was one of the people, his character was one of the people that was throwing the force out of balance. But then, of course, the Inquisitors existed. So was he throwing the force out of balance? And Ahsoka Tano existed. And Cal Ketsis from Jedi Fallen Order was around at that time. So, I mean, whilst I love the simplicity of this theory, and I really believe that this probably is what Lucas intended, I I feel like the canon has probably undone that a little bit. So, Freddie Prince Jr., I love the rant, a lot of respect for you, but I'm not sure that the canon allows for that now. I, I totally believe that that's the intention, and I think that's a really nice, solid way of doing it. But... Like I said, I'm just a little bit unsure about how that fits into uh, the canonicity of the, uh, the the Star Wars universe as we see it right now. Um, it's very, very interesting. Like, like I said, it's, it's a very easy explanation. Um, it's 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 very much um, it's very much a, a, a simple way of looking at this, which I believe because it's for kids, and this is something Freddie Prince Jr. goes into in this rant as well. Star Wars is for kids, so simplicity is key. Now, one interesting point to come from this is the fact that there was another theory knocking about over the last couple of weeks, which was kind of on this note, where if you think about it, we don't know how many other Force users are out in the universe 30 years. 
after Return of the Jedi. We all we only know that we've got Rey and we've got Kylo, okay? Sure, we've got the kids, we've got the kid with the broom, and I'm sure there are other Force-sensitives out there, but perhaps there are no one quite as powerful with the Force. Someone so big and powerful as Ben Solo or Rey, there's only those two, okay, that are that powerful. Previously, there was Anakin and there was Luke and there was um, Palpatine and Windu and everyone else. But the Force is essentially in balance when we see The Force Awakens because you've got Kylo and you've got Ben. Uh, sorry, Kylo and Ben. You've got Kylo and you've got Rey. But one interesting theory that I did see over the last couple of weeks was what if, because Luke cut himself off from The Force, that essentially balanced The Force back out. You've got Rey, you've got Kylo Ren. That balanced the force back out. Interestingly, what if Luke's massive show of power, and this came from a Reddit theory, I think. What if Luke's massive, massive show of power at the end of The Last Jedi, which is granted one of the greatest shows of force wielding and the power of the force. It's one of the greatest exhibits of the force's power ever in canon. What if that unbalanced the force. And even though Luke's gone and Luke's dead, that is what spurred on Palpatine's revival because the force had to respond by bringing back one of the greatest force users that the world has ever seen. I don't know. Again, it's just a theory that was out there, but I like all this balance. I like the symmetry. That's what George Lucas obviously blatantly intended. So I do, I do quite like that. I mean, who knows? Who knows? We'll, we'll we'll stick a link in the show notes to uh, to this Freddie Prince Jr. rant anyway, because I think it's interesting. It warrants a, certainly warrants a watch from anyone that's interested in the Star Wars canon. So go and check this out. But I'm interested in what will happen with the Rise of Skywalker. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. We shall see. But uh, it's it's an interesting theory. And Freddie Prince Jr. has got you know he's got ties closer than we have to Dave Filoni, to the Lucasfilm story group, and to of course George Lucas himself. So who? knows indeed we shall see right the next bit of news is interesting so there's an article on cnet which i mean cnet's all right but it's a little bit clickbaity sometimes isn't it um it's a commentary piece by a guy called david priest that was published on the 11th of october it's actually quite a nice piece and it says it's titled clickbaity as heck and it is the new star wars trilogy is worse than the prequels but it's actually if you look at the byline it's a commentary. It's four lessons Disney failed to learn from George Lucas at his worst. So this is saying that Lucas at his worst was in the prequels. Now, we all know that the prequels have their problems, but as time marches on, there's starting to be a resurgence and a new appreciation of the prequels. Sure, the dialogue's a bit clunky. The CGI now looks a bit dated, but, you know, they did change filmmaking and they are very important pieces of the Star Wars canon. To me, I actually really enjoy the story. Really enjoyed the story. Um, and, and, and Gaz and I were saying last week that we there's something about these new sequels that doesn't feel, you know, just quintessential Star Wars. There's something about the sequels that doesn't feel quintessentially Star Wars. Now, Gaz, I think, hit upon that, which is around the new worlds, the mythology, this kind of pushing the limits of various things and just introducing the wider galaxy and also making the empire feel big and brash and feel like an actual empire. These things just seem to be a little missing. The mythology seems to be disconnected. Um, and there, there, are, there are certain things that I think the prequels and the, the, the original trilogy did really well. So go and read this article. It's really, really interesting. There are four lessons. Um, 
it's always been very, very interesting um, to see what the prequels have done over and above what the original trilogy did. So the world building, the, um, the, the real kind of depth of some of the fights in the original trilogy, the big Star Wars fight scenes, uh, whether it's the lightsaber battles or whether it is uh, the space battles in Revenge of the Sith. You know, these are the things that I don't think maybe the sequel trilogy have done. And this is what this piece covers. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting because this piece really goes into the fact that Lucas is really trying to tell a story of each planet. So the first point in this article is the fact that it's not just about copying. Look, we've had a snow planet in Empire, so let's stick it in The Force Awakens. A forest planet, blah, 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 blah. Takanada and then and, and, and Endor. You know, it's it's interesting in the prequels that, that Luke, uh, Lucas gives each planet, each species a pretty big um, feel of its own. I think Rogue One did this pretty well. You know, yes, okay, Jeddah was a sand planet, but then we had Scarif, which was completely tropical and something that we'd never seen in Star Wars. Um, so I, th- I, th- I find that interesting. I think this piece is is interesting because I do think it alludes to what Gaz and I were sort of digging into a few weeks ago, which is the world building. You know, we don't seem to have the world of Star Wars here in the sequel trilogy. Um, we've also got we've also got this this idea from the prequels that characters really really matter. So we've got this arc of Obi-Wan, we've got this arc of Anakin, we've got even the Qui-Gon arc and the, the arc of the Jedi, the hubris of the Jedi. Even Yoda's got a little mini arc and Windu have got mini arcs. Palpatine, of course, has got a huge arc within the prequel trilogy. And again, this piece just argues um, that we've got some real kind of stakes. You know, there's something at stake here. And it feels like because we got to know the characters, we can kind of buy into that a little bit more. Whereas with the sequel trilogy, I mean, Finn, he's pulled all over, bless him. Rose Tico, not given the attention that she deserves. Poe, a little bit of character development in The Last Jedi, but ultimately not that much. And it just feels as if there's that much going on with the characters that nothing's going on with the characters, you know, in the sequel trilogy. So I do find that, again, another point very, very interesting. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot in this article to unpack, and I think it's very, very interesting to just dig into what the prequels did well that the sequels aren't doing so well, because these things now are just money machines, you know, and I'm hoping that J.J., can bring back some of the characterization, can bring back some of the um, some of the feeling, some of the people, you know, some of that personality and some of that connectivity. But also that it's almost like Batman, like Gotham City. When you look at the Arkham games and the comics and, and the movies, especially Tim Burton's movies, the city is a character. You know, you're you're afraid of the city and you need Batman. You know, it, it feels dark and dirty and scary and you shouldn't be out there at night. Gotham is a character. It's maybe one of the most important characters in all the Batman franchise. But Starkiller Base, take it or leave it. You know, it's not, there's not that much there. It doesn't feel, the Death Star was ominous. It looked robotic. It was big and gargantuan. And it felt like this mechanism. And then when they added the droids to it in the prequels, you, you could see the path from, you know, Attack of the Clones, the droid army, through to the Death Star. You could you could almost trace a path narratively from those two. Yeah, but Starkiller Base, it's almost too big. It's a planet. It's not got, you can't see it in its entirety. It's not got that, oh crap, that 
thing can move and come and get us. It's not got that feel to it. You know, you know, you, you never felt like you were being chased by Star Killer Base, and it, it's that it's that Michael Myers on him, uh, ominous kind of feel that the Death Star had that I think Star Killer was missing. So this article, just it, check. It. I'm not going to go into it too much because I fear. Um, I feel that, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to kind of just take it and, and just kind of read it verbatim because I, it, it wouldn't do it justice, but there's a lot in there. There's a lot around the ability of Star Wars back in the prequel days to kill the bigger characters. Maul, one of the finest characters, Qui-Gon, amazing character, both dead. Okay. Yeah, sure. Maul came back. Sure. Qui-Gon force ghosted himself up, but they were dead. They were gone from the prequels. All right. So it feels like, you know, there's maybe a little bit of less risk taking. The characterization is not quite as good. Go and read this article. I think you'll find it very interesting. It's over on CNET. Uh, I'll stick the links in the show notes for you, but please go ahead and check it out because I do think you'll find it very, very interesting. So that is the news. That is the news. Like I said, there's always a little bit more going on in uh, in Star Wars dumb than you'd expect, but that's been... Uh, that's been the main couple of pieces of news that caught my attention this week. Now, before I dig into the review and discussion section, what I want to do is uh, is just go ahead and make sure that you know that we are on the social. So go and check us out on social media. Do a search for Spark of Rebellion. We've got different usernames on each each social media platform because, of course, you can't always get them. Um, but go and search for Spark of Rebellion. You will find us, and, of course, you will be able to just interact with us. Let us know what you think of some of the news. Go and check it out. Let us know. Give us a little uh, a little, little at message, and we'll reply. We'll get into some discussion on that. Okay, so we're ramping up to the rise of Skywalker. So it wouldn't be a Star Wars week without another Palpatine and or Luke Skywalker and or Rey theory. So there's a theory flying around over on Reddit and uh, it was picked up by a couple of outlets over the last week or two that actually Rey is uh, none other than the daughter of Luke Skywalker and Palpatine's daughter. Now, you know, sadly, we're going to have to forget the legend stuff, Mara Jade and so on and so forth. But this is quite an interesting little theory. So the theory goes thus. Rey is the daughter of Skywalker and uh, the, sorry, yeah, the daughter of Luke Skywalker and the daughter of the daughter of Palpatine. So Palpatine's granddaughter. And the theory goes that, of course, we see either a vision or a genuine dark Rey in the trailer. And it's very interesting to see here that actually, there's a theory that posits that, you know what, all of this kind of duality, this this kind of Dark Lord of the Sith, Anakin was a Jedi and he was a Sith under Palpatine. He was a Skywalker and an acolyte of Palpatine. Palpatine was, for the, for the longest time, seen as being a, a force of good for the universe and then suddenly, uh-uh, no, revealed that he's a Sith. Luke, obviously, he was... He was uh, almost seduced by the dark side. It was the dark side that gave him the anger and the power to overcome Vader in Return of the Jedi. And obviously he struggled with that dark side, as does Kylo Ren Ben Solo. So this is not an in- not a bad, interesting little theory. I don't know how true it is and whether it's a little bit too obvious, but I actually quite like the duality of this insofar as the... If this was the case, you would probably then start to see the fact that, do you know what? two or three of the biggest and most powerful force users the universe has ever seen. You were talking Palpatine, two Skywalkers, Anakin and Luke. I mean, Rey would be an uber, uber force user, an uber force user, you know? She would have the power of the Palpatine bloodline and the Skywalker bloodline. I mean, that is some serious force 
use. Okay, so there's like I said, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this. In particular, I do love the fact that the theory posits that within this within this kind of um, this story, this narrative for it, you would start to see her ebb and flow. You'd start to see her at her lowest point, being seduced by Palpatine and saying, "Actually, you're the last Palpatine. You are the last one." And then. Ben Solo and, and Leah and the ghost of Luke and Obi-Wan and even Anakin being on hand to say, yeah, all right, that is the case. But look, you're also a Skywalker. Here's what we can do together. You know, so it, I do find this interesting. And when you start to look at some of the leaks and some of the rumors about Anakin appearing and, and, and some of the rumors about Luke obviously being the force ghost and Leah having a bigger part to pay, play in terms of the tutelage, I, I, this is quite interesting this is quite interesting because you can start to see that, well, wait a second, wait a second, this this could make sense. You know, Anakin Skywalker, if he's going to return, is he returning as Anakin? Is he re- returning as Vader? Is it a little bit of both? And is it a way of saying to Rey, actually, look, I fell for this. You don't have to. Let me help you through. He's going to want to come and help his, his granddaughter. He's going to do. You know, he's going to want that. Um, so I do find this theory really rather interesting. In, in in particular, that whole balance thing that we talked about with Freddie Prince Jr.'s run. You know, what does this then do to balance? I don't know. You know, Palps is a Sith. Skywalkers are a, a, a Jedi slash Dark Lords. What does it do to balance if raised from both bloodlines? I honestly don't know how that works. But maybe... Maybe, maybe this is to do with the mind-melting last scene that Kevin Smith pointed out a few months ago. I honestly don't know, but I think this is a very interesting theory. I love the notion that, um, you know, Ray has been marked as just this nothing um, of, a, of a character in terms of the parentage and the bloodline. I, I, I don't see that being the case. I do see this being a bigger play. And I think everyone's always thought that uh, sorry Ray was a, a a bigger fish in the in the Star Wars galaxy than was than was let on. Uh, you know, I can see the argument then for um, you know maybe Ray was part of the the new Jedi Academy when Kylo went nuts. You know, Luke and Palp's daughter binned off Ray, stuck her on Jakku, uh, so that Palpatine and 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 um, and Kylo Ren wouldn't find her because. You know, why would you want someone seduced to the dark side that's got Skywalker and Palpatine blood? You know, you want to hide her away. So I, I think it gets you out of a lot of potential plot points. I just wonder if it's a little bit too easy. I wonder if it's a little bit too easy. But it also then leads me to the question, like, does, does Luke or did Luke have any inclination at all that Palpatine may or, not, may, or may not be back? Who knows? Did he, did, he, did he know that? Did he know that he could or could not be back? I don't know. I really don't know about that. But this theory is interesting nonetheless. Like I said, it's uh, it's worth looking into. I'll stick a link in the show notes again to this one. But I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit in two minds about it. I'm, I'm a little bit unsure. Um, but I, li- I do like the idea of it, the simplicity of it, the balance of it, and the fact that, you know, it might be a good reason to get Anakin back into the fray. Having said that, you know, like I said, does it feel a bit too simple? Does it feel a little bit too easy? I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? But we shall see when the Rise of Skywalker rolls around over the next two months. Can you believe it? It's coming around in two months' time. It's going to be out in cinemas. I think you're going to be able to start booking your tickets soon here in the UK, so we're going to get a little bit excited about that one. Now, on to the random spotlight. I know this show is a little bit shorter than normal because my good friend Gaz is not here, so the discussion points are a little bit less. But the random spotlight today is... 
the forest world, the landscaped world of, that's right, Takodana, a planet, according to Star Wars Wiki, located in the mid-rim. Now, this is an interesting little kind of world. It's been mentioned throughout various pieces of new canon literature. It's been mentioned by Ahsoka Tano as a place for potential refuge uh, when the Inquisitors were out for her. It's been it's been mentioned in uh, various Rogue One spins where Jin Erso spent a little bit of a time on Takodana. And it's also been mentioned in Chuck Wendig's Aftermath trilogy as well, plus things like Solo, Last Shot, and of course it made an appearance in Star Wars Battlefront 2 and Master and Apprentice as well. So it's been around recently, but all of this stuff, of course, is uh, is fairly new stuff. You know, it's been uh, it's it's been added fairly recently to canon. But of course, this is a place where Maz Kanata had her her what's the word? I don't want to say cantina, her watering hole. And uh, Maz Kanata was an interesting one because she was one of the most interesting characters in The Force Awakens for me. How the heck did she get Luke Skywalker's uh, and Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber from the end of Empire? How did Han Solo know her? Um, You know, it was just very, very interesting. It was like Mos Eisley Cantina, but with a little bit more depth to it. So this this always really interested me. It was one of the first things that I I remember seeing from The Force Awakens and thinking, ah, there's a bit of a story there. And in particular, Maz Kanata, what is her connection to the bigger picture? Sadly, she was relegated to a really, really kind of shockingly poor cameo in The Last Jedi via hologram. I was gutted about that. Hopefully we'll see a little bit more of Maz in, um, in the Rise of Skywalker. But Takadana is a very, very interesting planet. It's uh, it's filmed, or the, the, the water piece of it is filmed at Derwent Water, which is here in the UK, which is a fantastic open space here in the northwest of England. And it's uh, it's just it's just curious because you find, you know, this is um, a place that has obviously got a lot of draw in the new canon. It's obviously got a lot of significance, but it hasn't been touched on that much. You know, it's one of those places like Moroband or Dathomir or um, or Mortis or one of those places that crops up once and then seems to have an impact. So then keeps being included in certain things. And it just, like I said, it's just interesting to me to see if they're going to do a little bit more with this. I hope in The Rise of Skywalker, we're going to see a lot more of Maz Kanata um, because I do find that interesting. And it's, it, I, I just wish that they put a little bit more time into this. This is what the books and the comics are really, really good at. Um, so I, I, I'm interested in this place. I'm interested in this, in the big, ca- you know, it was a castle, wasn't it? Maz Kanata's castle. Um, so what I think we've got to consider here is that, you know, what what is the bigger picture? You know, we've started to see some of the comics digging into like Vader's castle or Mustafar. We've started to see them digging into certain other places. Um, for example, things like the ghost, you know, we start to see that in New Dawn. Then it's dug into in Rebels. Like these, these individual places, you know, these areas of interest. I just hope Takadana is given a little bit more time. And how the heck... Did Skywalker's lightsaber end up there after after Empire Strikes Back? I want to know the answer to that. If I've missed something in canon and you know the answer, let me know. Because honestly, I do not know the answer to that. I'm really curious about that. And I hope if it hasn't been covered already, I hope that it will be covered very, very soon. All right, guys. 
This is Spark of Rebellion. Thanks for joining me. I know it's uh, it's a little bit weird when Gaz is not here. I mean, Gaz has done solo shows as well. They're always a little bit shorter because we're not bantering. And there's, there's always significantly less office quotes as well when we're flying solo. But thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure to be able to chat Star Wars with you. I'm missing Gaz, and I know he'll be back next week. Safe journey, brother. I know you'll be listening. So safe journey and best wishes to your good lady for her run this week. For you guys listening out there, it means a heck of a lot that you tune in every single week. If you want to join Spark of Rebellion on Patreon, please go ahead and do so at patreon.com forward slash Spark of Rebellion. It means so very much to us that you can support the show. And go and check us out on all the social media. Just search for Spark of Rebellion on your social media platform of choice. Let's interact over there. Let us know what you think of the news from today, the discussion, and the uh, obviously the random spotlight tackle down. And until next time, we will be back. Enjoy your week in a galaxy far, far away. And may the Force be with you always.